There we go, the John Curley Sherry Elliger Show. Starring Sherry Elliger, but not today. No, there he is, Mr. Fillin himself, coming all the way from California. Mr. Say Your Name Twice, Jack Stein, Jack Stein. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good, great. All right, listen, the uh, before you... Uh, the, you sent me so much stuff to get to. I hopefully were able to pile all of this into the show. Um, let's see. Let's start with Jim <laughs> Wait, Walsh. I didn't send you anything, Jim Walsh. John. What's that? You did. Mm-hmm. You sent me a bunch of good stuff. Dive it in the news! <laughs> all right. Every uh, every time the folks in Olympia get together, they float a whole bunch of ideas. You always hear those expressions all the time. No such thing as a bad idea. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Nope. Really? No such thing? Um, Representative Jim Walsh uh, joins us on the line now because a mo- one of the most outrageous bills that I saw floated around came from our friend, um, Attorney General uh, Bob Ferguson. And Jim Walsh, they're on the lookout for domestic terrorist extremists. Would that be you? <laughs> I, I, I'm almost sure that I would be on the list, the naughty list. Yes, Josh. <laughs> the... Uh... The the state attorney general, Mr. Ferguson, has come up with a real, real bad idea. House Bill 1333, uh, he found some uh, of my colleagues to actually run this good. Um, What it would do is... Oh, he just dropped off. Oh! Not not even a second thought. Just boom. Wow, wow. What it would do. You know what somebody took him down. Jim Walsh, get him to call, get him back on the line. Yep, we're calling him back right now. Okay, so as Jim was going to explain, and Jack, you got a chance to take a look at this thing. They're going to set up a commission, and yep. the commission will be there to protect. Is Jim back? Let us know when he's back. Still calling. The commission. The commission will be there uh, and set up to protect people that are getting radicalized and might turn into violent people. So they're going to intervene. This is going to be through sort of the health department. They're going to get in there and help you before you start saying things um, and thinking things that would be considered to be sort of against what the government wants you to believe and wants you to say and wants you to do. So I love the fact that they're sort of putting this under the idea that this was this is all part of like health care. Uh, you got a chance to see who's on the commission. Who's who's in, who would be included in the commission? This commission of like, the best, Ministry of Truth. Yeah, yeah. This is the best part about it, John. Uh, you're not invited. So it's uh, a representative from the Black or African American community, a representative from the Muslim community, a representative from the Jewish community, a representative from the Asian or Asian American community, a representative mm-hmm. from the Sikh community, a representative from the Lat- Latino Latina latin x community which by the way i don't know a single latino individual who goes by latin x and a representative from the lgbtq community and a representative from the quote general immigrant refugee community and a representative from the african community but not you john you're not you're not invited you're not welcome right and my, and our guest Jim Walsh back for a second time. So Walsh, hey. you see a lot of ridiculous bills come out. Didn't aren't people just on the face of it, both Democrats and Republicans that believe in free speech and free thought, just laughing this thing off the floor or out of committee? Well, I mean, it's sort of inching along. I, I yeah, I think behind closed doors, even my colleagues on the left uh, know that this is not a good thing. 
but but they're they're hesitant to say it publicly. Uh, you know, they're uh, you know they're letting this kind of stuff through at least the early stages of becoming law. It, it it's an absolute laugher. It it it's it violates the the First Amendment, of course, of the federal constitution, but it violates like three parts at least of Article One of the state constitution. You know, it, it violates the free speech part of Article One. It violates the freedom of conscience part, and, and it violates the the privacy part. Uh, it, it's just screwy. It's unconstitutional, and and yeah. it's almost like they're not serious about it. They're just picking a fight. You know, it's like they want an argument about this kind of stuff. Well, we it's saw, like, we saw the Jim. We saw them try to do it on the national level with the misinformation committee that Biden tried to set up, and and that thing got shot uh, to death and down into the holes and gone forever. But then it seems like the state wants to pick it up. In fact, Bob Ferguson was on PBS NewsHour answering questions that apparently he had written for. What we're trying to get at is something a little bit different to broaden the scope. Look at it from a public health standpoint, because that is what it is. We should view this holistically. Let's engage in prevention of getting folks, avoiding them being radicalized in the first place. If somebody is radicalized and wants to remove, move away from that, how can we help them with counseling, for example, to get them away from that, uh, that ideology? So looking at it from a more holistic standpoint, we think addresses prevention, addresses helping folks who've been radicalized and take a more holistic view of this to address was a huge challenge, not just in Washington state, but all across the country. So Jim, the idea is that you're getting radicalized to think things that you're not supposed to think. So they're going to come in and help you. <laughs> help yeah, you. How many, what's he getting paid for every time he says holistic? Um, you know, yeah. You know who else helped you with those kinds of matters? You know, Joseph Stalin in the gulag, Read mm-hmm. Solzhenitsyn. I mean, that's what they said. They said people were sent to the gulag for their, you know, mental health. This is yeah. bad, bad, dangerous stuff. And uh, and it's just, it, it's kind of comical to listen to the state attorney general blather on about holistic when, you know, this is a way for, to, to, to legalize making enemies lists. It's terrible stuff. Well, they can send you up. Maybe we could reopen Camp Harmony there in Puyallup. Here he is talking about what we want to do, a first state to have. A large number of folks in our community, not simply young people who are impacted by this. And that's what creating a commission is all about. We'd be the first state to create the commission that you mentioned at the outset. And that would bring together experts to engage on making specific recommendations on exactly this kind of issue. What can we do to prevent the radicalization of folks who are a bit older, as you said, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, and to help them to get out of that if they are radicalized. So there are all sorts of things that experts have recommended in this area. Our goal is to create that commission. Our report's a first step. Now let's move to creating the commission, get experts together who can put together a plan for the entire state of Washington, work with community members to make recommendations to really address exactly that type of challenge that we see all across the country every time it seems like we pick up the newspaper. So what do you consider, what does you consider to be radicalized? Is it somebody that says, hey, I don't know if I trust this vaccine. I, I have a problem if they're teaching CRT in schools. I don't think that uh, castrating a 13-year-old boy is a good idea. I mean, if this is, it, it, are those radical ideas that the commission would need to have you seek mental health for? Yeah, well, you know, uh, you know the state attorney general, he's going to decide what radical is. And, you know, the government's really good at uh, determining what you should think and what you should believe and helping you if you believe the wrong things. Look, 
I'll say it again, John. The state constitution's protection of freedom of conscience is is a concept that even the founders of the country tried to get into the U.S. Constitution, but they went with the more narrow discussion of freedom of religion. Freedom of conscience is the freedom to believe what you believe in your own thoughts. I think that the state constitution is beautiful in how it protects your privacy and protects your freedom of conscience and does not allow some bureaucrat with political ambitions to tell you what's radical. And, and you know, John, what's the matter with being radical? You know, Marcel Proust said, live a normal life so you can think radical thoughts. Radical <laughs> thoughts can be creative. They can be good. You know, yeah. it's, it's actions we want to focus on. It's when you act violently or act destructively that, it, you know, the, the government then has a, a legitimate role in getting involved. But radical thoughts, radical ideas, great art is made of radical ideas. Great movements are started with radical ideas. Who's this bureaucrat to say what can be thought and not thought, what can be believed and not believed? It's, it's outrageous. Got a question for Jim Walsh there, Jack Stein? Well, I, I got to tell you guys, page three, subsection A, John, I know oh, that you love oh, to read this go. information, yes. <laughs> but go ahead. this is what I find. This is what I find to be the most frightening out of out of the entire out of the document. Uh, again, this is page three, subsection A. This is over at you just Google HB one three 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 and this will pop up. It says identifying community led and evidence based solutions to combat disinformation and misinformation address early signs of radicalization and develop public health style responses. That is so unbelievably vague that technically, yeah. John, you just saying anything you say on your three hour radio show to me could technically be considered radical could because it's so vague that I could just plug anything I want in there and say, John yeah. Gurley is a radical because John Gurley thinks a, B, C or D. Right. And this is what I find to be so egregious about it is how, imprecise and vague it is it just seems to me like nobody could sign off on this it's jargon bingo too you know we had holistic <laughs> holistic holistic now we got evidence-based and public health public health public health you're, you're right jack these these terms are used in an obtuse and meaningless way I have to tell you, of, of the stuff that comes out of there, out of Olympia, I find this one to be most disturbing. And I have to tell you, I, I am doing backflips as I watch the Republicans get a chance to talk to those people at Twitter. And when they say, I don't recall, or my memory is failing, or I, I'm unsure, I don't know. And then somebody up there says, oh, well, let me refresh your memory. And then on a big piece of poster board, I wish I was in the poster board business in D.C., there's their tweet or there's their email basically seeing that the FBI is controlling the speech of the American citizen through the proxy of social media. This thing is basically if Ferguson had his way, it would be the state of Washington, I assume, working with social media, because where else are they going to find these radical ideas unless everybody gets a talk show? And then they're going to be able to see the things that you're posting with the cooperation of social media, 
either taking it down or then coming to your house and knocking at your door or going to your office or fining you or something else. Because what is the next step for the compulsory involvement where all of a sudden you have to realize, well, I guess I am being radicalized, so please come help me, Stasi. Please come help me, uh, Mal. <laughs> I mean, to me, of all of this stuff, the control of speech, the control of thought by the government against its people, I think is one of the absolute worst atrocities that you can uh, uh, put upon somebody other than taking their life. And that's why the First Amendment is the first. But Jim, I, I, I'm surprised people aren't standing up there in Olympia and just mocking the crap out of this thing. But you're telling me they're quietly talking behind hushed tones for afraid that someone's going to say something to them? Yeah, well, you know, <sighs> it, it's Solzhenitsyn all over again. I mean, this is, John, this is my concern, is we get to a place where we're not necessarily corrupt, but we're decadent. We've lost connections with the core values that make our state strong, make our state great. And and we've lost them. And, and we're taken over by emotionalism and this, you know, jargon-driven rhetoric and and we've lost track with why it's important the first amendment why that's the first one we've we've, we've forgotten what the reason we have immigrants here because they come from places where you're punished for what you think or what you believe they come here because you can think and believe what you want we're going to screw up the most important value we have which is freedom of thought and freedom of expression well don't forget um words are violence so therefore thoughts are violence and your thoughts and your words can hurt me um like books can hurt people essays hurt people and we're there to protect people against violent thoughts i mean it's it is a nutty world i really believe that this is a this is a turning point i believe this is an inflection point i believe this bill is so bad it is going to start changing hearts and minds about some of the dumb stuff we do here in Olympia. I, I believe this is a turning point. Well, keep keep up, keep doing dumb stuff in Olympia, Jim. We appreciate that. <laughs> I will try. I will try so hard. We'll fight the bad and try to promote the good. All right. Thank you, Jim Walsh. Thanks for coming on, John Curtley, Sherry Ellicott Show. There we go, uh, Jack. I'm telling you that. Uh, are you watching any of the Twitter stuff? Because we've got some sound from it. Have you seen these guys uh, be asked questions about um, what they were doing when they were getting information about Hunter's laptop? Does it excite you? Yeah. Or it just, I, 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 I'm, I'm apoplectic with, with uh, schadenfreude. <laughs> I don't think it's – honestly, John, you're going to hate me for saying this, but I, I think it's a massive nothing burger. I, I think <laughs> – I think that they did what was the interest within the interest of a corporation to do if a corporation is trying to make money. And so they whether it's the Hunter Biden laptop story or anything else, they well, you're, you're, you're going to have to argue about it at a completely different segment. Because no, 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 no. I, I, I listen, I, I, I you can you just go ahead. Uh, Twitter, social, f- Facebook, you put out whatever you want. I don't care. You're a private yeah. company, publicly held company, however you're held. The, I'm just talking about when the government calls you up and tells you, take this down, take that down. That's it. It, As soon as the call from the FBI comes, 
as soon as it comes and you start responding and you start creating controls based upon what the DOJ and the FBI. Because let's just imagine it's just for a moment, a little bit of game here. Imagine it was mm-hmm. Donald Trump in the White House. And imagine it was William Barr. Imagine it was somebody from the FBI calling Twitter from the Trump organization. Well, I mean, that was up <laughs> in arm to go but, but John, it was during the Trump administration, though, because when during the Hunter Biden laptop story thing, that's all Trump mm-hmm. administration stuff. Because yeah. uh, we have to, it's a different segment, John. I'd have to explain. I, it I know, to but you. no. What I'm it. saying is, I'm saying connecting. They're not even connecting it to Trump because they just want to make that ah. separation between the two. It's not Donald Trump is nowhere near that. No, 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 no. This is uh, totally separate. But the FBI was out to screw Trump even before Trump came down the escalator. So I mean, and he was part of the victims of the whole thing. Here we go. Hey, look, there's Jack Stein. And there you are as well, listening to the John Curley, Sherry Ellicott Show. Hey, Jack. You can write to us at MyNorthwest.com. Come on in to the State Ravine text line, one 973 Okay. Um, do, does your work give you satisfaction? How old are you, Jack? I mean, uh, what's, the, what's the age difference between the two of us? You are... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, 35 years old, John, which makes me about a third of your age. Yeah. Thank you. When you were coming up, did people tell you, you know, that, you know, you should pick a career and there would be job satisfaction and, and you, your work will satisfy all these parts of your life? Were you, were you fed that big pile of poop? No, it was it was you have to, you know, no one ever really gave me any direction in life, John, which is why I call you every weekend for some direction. <laughs> <laughs> why I call you every weekend. The second, part, the second part of that sentence is true. We do call. We do talk almost every weekend. But no, I was just wondering, at what point did, did young people, were young people told, like Andrew's in there running the board. He's the under 25. He had just had his birthday on Saturday. I am I am twenty five now. Did, I'm I'm at twenty five. Yes. Right. Right. So so did someone tell you that work was supposed to fulfill all these parts of your life? Andrew? Anyone? Oh, you're asking me. I'm sorry. Hello? I was asking Jack. What's the question? No, I'm asking you. Ah. No, forget <laughs> it. Moving on. Wait, John, I think – why? Did this happen to you, John? Did did somebody say no, you – No, I'm building up. In... I'm just trying to find out. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm just, Jack, I'm just trying to find out. Like, for instance, here's the CBS story that yeah. – um, I don't even know if sound on or not – that apparently they're going to come up with this new law that's going to ban the boss from sending you emails uh, after work hours. You need a law for that. Mm-hmm. You want me to read it for you, John? Because it says where an employer contacts an employee during the period when there is no mutually agreed out of work hours, the employee A shall not be obliged to respond and shall have the right to disconnect and B may choose to respond for which the employee shall be entitled to get compensation. So you can charge. Okay. Um, And do you think we need a law for that? Uh, yeah, actually, I do, John, because if you think about it in, in Germany, for instance, it's illegal for your employer to contact you after hours. They just simply can't do it. They can't text mm-hmm. you. They can't call you. They can't email you. I think right. there needs to be better separation, obviously not in every industry. Like if you're a doctor and you're, <laughs> you're a heart surgeon, yeah. obviously you might get a phone yeah. call at four o'clock in the morning. For you and I, obviously, 
you know, we might get a phone call. Hey, you know, Sherry is sick today. Can you come in? That makes perfect sense. But for other people, I think it I think that it's good to have a certain amount of separation and, and healthy to know that your boss isn't going to call you, uh, uh, you know, as as so, no one's going to call Andrew when he leaves the studio at seven o'clock tonight. Right. I see. Yeah. OK. Um, but to have the government step in. But the government is trying to do is saying, listen, if you answer that email, then you need to be paid by answering that email. You're back on the clock again. Right. That that what's that's what they're trying to do. And by the way, the countries that they point out, Kenya um, has this. Uh, France has it. Germany has it as well, creating the distinction between when I'm at work and when I'm at home. You can choose not to answer the email or you could just simply call back, say, hey, I'm at work. I'm at home. I'm with the kids and I'm, I'm not going to be doing this work. I, I've always I'm always a greater advocate for human being to human being, employee to employer, as opposed to government coming in and telling uh, and stepping in between the relationship between the employer and the employee. Mm. I don't think I don't think yes. it really does anything for, as far as just real communication and real understanding with a pre- well. What can I say? That's the law. Blah. You know, you're much better off being able to have a clear understanding with how the boss can contact you and how you respond to the boss. I like that. I actually I prefer that, John. I prefer that in your employment contract with the company, they say, "Hey, by the way, one of our incentives is we won't be contacting you." Uh, we won't be calling Andrew and wishing him a happy birthday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we'll just Got be it. leaving you alone. And I, I think that that might actually be a perk in so many ways for many, many people to know that they work for a company that will not be contacting them off hours. But plus also, don't you think there's something to be said if the boss asks you and it's after hours and they, in a nice way, listen, I know you're at home. I hate to bug you or something, but could you do me a favor? Can you send me that Anderson report? Or if you have it, can you bring it in tomorrow, whatever? And the person responds, yeah, I'll get that for you. It's almost like the coach used to say in football, show me how hard you practice and you'll be on the field for the game on Saturday. And those people are just kind of walking through the practice. They're not running the quarter mile uh, track. You're not running your intervals fast enough. You know, you're not going to get a chance to play. Um, and it's the same sort of thing that if you do better than somebody else and you push a little harder and you respond quickly, you move up. Is there something wrong with that? No, but well, some people are go-getters though, John, and some people are lazy. You know, some people like you and I, we're go-getters. We do stuff. You have a business. I have a business. We, we, there's things that occur within our brain that, that push us forward momentum. Other people are lazy and they think to themselves, well, I'm going to go to Kroger and I'll be there from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. <laughs> I'm going to go home yeah. and I'm going to play Xbox and that's going to be my life. Right. So maybe yeah. for those people, they need that. They need that a security blanket, I guess, is the best way to put it, to know that they won't be called uh, at five o'clock when they're you know, playing Overwatch 2 and having their boss say, hey, by the way, can you come in early tomorrow? Uh, Jeopardy music for Jack Stein, please, Andrew, because <clears throat> here's the question. Jack, uh, what percentage of Americans are lazy? What percentage of Americans are lazy? Hmm. Wait, you're supposed to say <laughs> that's not the way Jeopardy works. Uh, uh, <laughs> this percentage of Americans are lazy. <laughs> I'm going to say 65% of Americans are lazy. Yeah, 65. 
Oh, so this year, this is not the way Jeopardy works. Why don't you why don't you learn how to answer in the form of a question? <laughs> what is sixty five percent of American? What, what are sixty five percent of Americans? I, I don't know. I lose apparently. Uh, ask ask uh, Chris Martin. Play music with Chris Martin. Chris Martin. This percentage of Americans are lazy. <laughs> uh, what is thirty seven percent? Okay. And that is incorrect. I'm sorry, Andrew, you have a chance to steal. <laughs> uh, what is uh, uh, 80%? The answer is 80%. Correct. You've controlled the board. It is 80%. I would say most people... Stop, Jack. Most people are lazy. I saw an, I read this gigantic article in um, Harper's. Would a caveman take the escalator? And the answer is yes, because people will always take the path of least resistance. The thing that motivates you, Jack, and motivates me is a deep, deep neurotic sense of paranoia that at any minute we're going to lose our job. We would generally be more lazy if we didn't have this sort of thing eating away at us, telling us at any minute we could be replaced. All right? <laughs> Yes, yes. That's that's why there are those weirdos that like 18 hours a day. But if you dig in deep, you find out there's something else pushing them. Something is. But your general state, general state is to find comfort, is to find comfort and to not have to do much. That's why the answer is 80 percent in my made up Mm -hmm. world. Stein sitting in for Sherry Elliger. Thank you, Jack, for doing this. Sitting for everybody over there. Apparently, um, people don't only get uh, drunk because they get the hangover and they feel horrible in the morning. So why not switch over to a friendlier mind-altering thing like acid? No, it's so funny. I, um, I've i tried to do DMT twice, mm. and I haven't actually broken through. It's hard. It's really hard. I think I've already broken through. How? Like you mean, you mean life? Or? Life! I feel like I've already broken no, through. Dude, the weird thing is, once you break through on a drug, you realize that life is the trip. Exactly. No lie. That's what you realize. Life is the trip, and the acid of life is creativity. Wow. Uh. Let's assume they've got to be high right now. So our psychedelics, <laughs> our psychedelics, the new, thank you for finding that, Chris Martin. Um <laughs> Chris was sitting next to that woman in the back of that car when they were recorded that. Are psychedelics the new club drug of choice? Oh, man. You're laughing uh, hard John, at this. Yeah, well, because psychedelics, John, you know me, I have a very special relationship with psychedelics. Yes, you do. And I, yes, I, you do. I feel like, I feel like uh, and maybe it's because I do shamanic rituals with people. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's because that's the way I, I revere the psychedelics. I find the idea of, of taking a bunch of LSD and going to a rave to be a horrifying experience. I find the idea, the very idea of it gives me anxiety Yes. because you, how can you process anything when you have lights and Andrew, find me some techno music. What are the kids listening to <laughs> these days? That, you're not listening to, you know, you're not listening to, I don't know, Led Zeppelin anymore and, or, or Pink Floyd and, and figuring mm. out, you know, what's through the wall, man. Now it's just noises. It's just 
honking and, and beeps and boops and it's just it's chaotic noise. And so how can you do any heavy processing <laughs> in an environment where it's sweating and you're rubbing up against people and then John Curley is there and you're like, what's yeah, John yeah, Curley yeah. doing at this rave? You know what I mean? But <laughs> so people are, whoa, wow, I'm, the reality is the reality right now. What is right? So, but if people, okay, Andrew, stop, stop. <laughs> if, wow, it's not fair to anybody on acid right now listening to both us and the music. But for in in this piece, they basically say that, yeah, people are not drinking. They're doing acid or mushrooms or something else and then going out because they don't like the the after effect in the morning um, mm. of, of the alcohol, the hangover. But maybe you also, there's some, you know, residual effect to to acid i assume 24 hours later or 10 hours later yeah well there's there's not a hangover effect but there is a certain amount of cognitive uh trade-off that you're having between yourself and the substance to say you're not compromised after doing psychedelics i think is, is not and by compromise i don't necessarily mean that in a negative way it's just you, you have ingested substances that have altered the the neurochemical balance in your brain, and now you're going to pretend like you're a normal human being the day after? I don't think so. I think it's not the case. Plus, well, also when you're, I remember I had to go take some sort of test. I forgot what it was for um, some psychology test or something, or uh, to get prescribed for something. And they said I wasn't allowed to take mushrooms or acid this whole list of all the stuff you weren't allowed to take prior to like a week out because they kind of wanted you as stone cold sober as possible so that you would you know be testing at your baseline of reality does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah 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 so i guess as these drugs are becoming more present and we decriminalize them more people get a chance to experience them but of course there's also the fear of you know, people bringing in their strips and their testing and all that other stuff that's happening in the clubs. Make sure you're not getting any fentanyl.